Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 127 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 53 of A Clash of Kings. That's John 7. And we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we'll provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the TV show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll provide you some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing well. I'm doing. I'm wearing my um, Stacey's uh, homemade, or at least uh, made on the internet, uh, Ghost of Fahrenheit <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> it looks good. It looks oh, good. thank you. I feel like I'm forgetting uh, something, but I think I've got everything up here. I keep checking to make sure I remember to hit record, but I hit record. It seems to be working, <laughs> so I think we're good. How are you? Key doing? element. Key it element. Is. Otherwise, we're just talking I, for an hour. <laughs> I've I've rigged up my mic slightly differently, and uh, the way I've rigged it up, I can't see the light that shows that the mic is on, which is very reassuring when I can see it. Right. But I can't see it now, so I'm like. Ooh. I keep squinting around to make sure it hasn't got switched off somehow. Well, I can still hear you, um, so I guess I guess it's working. Well, yeah, but you 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 hear me through a different. Oh, mic. that's right. You, know, you, you use two mics. Yeah, yeah. There's two mics going on over here. Right. So my brother finally, finally, we were on episode 127. Finally, <laughs> had his repost to our hundredth episode, and it was. I mean, my brother's weird. He's funny, uh-huh, but he is weird. Uh-huh. I agree with both. Uh-huh. <laughs> But he wrote my 81-year-old mother into it. He did. And had her say some scurrilous things. <laughs> oh, it was... I can't believe she agreed to it. Oh, my, well, the first thing I texted you after watching it was, I felt like I was watching a David Lynch film. It was so... <laughs> <laughs> it was, oh. The, I... <laughs> we'll have to get we'll have to get him to post the link on the Discord server so that people can see it. Because it... It is funny. It's it's full of really weird things, but it is funny. It is. Including him streaking past in his underwear again, as, as usual. <laughs> There's an interesting interlude of him cutting grass. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the bit where he opens the magazine as well. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, it's so white! <laughs> uh, so... Thank you, Rob. So, good job on that. It, it, was, it yes. certainly was a lot of effort. You, you even had yes. uh, lines for your mom, which uh, she she <laughs> delivered very well. She should get an award for that performance. She did. <laughs> she did. My mother claimed to have been an extra in Game of Thrones, which is not true. I'm <laughs> sure the crowd. And in particular, she was not whore number three in one scene, <laughs> she claimed to have been. <laughs> Oh, goodness. <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I do believe we can discount that rumor. <laughs> so with, with that little tease, um, 
we, so yeah, I think I think that's a good way to get people to join the Discord server to see that video. We'll get Rob to post the video to the Discord server and uh, let everyone pick over the bones of the uh, <laughs> fevered mind of my brother. I think it will be it'll bring much joy and uh, yes. mirth to all, and also some right, uh, get, some confused uh-huh. looks. Probably a oh, few yeah, confused sure. looks. <laughs> I, I was confused uh, at, at the three minute mark or something. I was like, "Has he forgotten that he's made a, making a video for us?" Because he just starts mowing. I know. <laughs> it goes on and on. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, we should have him on one day. Yes, we should. Because he's 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 a character, my brother. <laughs> he is indeed. He. I, I've told you before. He's getting married. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm, yeah. I'm making plans to go see go to the wedding. All right. In October. That's great. Is that a good time to visit? Uh, yeah, it's getting a bit chilly over there. Then it, October's a good time to live in North Carolina. It is, yes. Because <laughs> summer hangs around. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, the intolerable part of summer is over, and you get the sort of late summer when it's still kind of nice. Right. Yeah, sometimes uh, you have to wait till November to really feel the fall. Yeah. Yeah, October can be, can be chilly in Normandy, but um, hey, wedding... Right, family, it'll be fun. Absolutely, sure it will. All right, let's get down to business. How do we leave Jon Snow? Well, last we saw of Jon, which was only two chapters ago, this is as, as quick a turnaround as you can have. Pretty much, yeah. But I mean, I've, there's, there's no examples of back-to-back chapters that I can think of. Uh, he was scaling the side of a mountain in the Skirling Pass to dispatch a pair of wildling scouts. He discovered Igrit, a surprise third member of the wildling party and took her captive. She claimed kinship with him through an old wildling story. When Corin Halfhand arrived, he told John to do what needed to be done with her and left him to do the deed. Try as he might, John couldn't execute her. Instead, he sent her on her way. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? All right. Well, John and the Night's Watch Rangers continue their way through the Skirling Pass. Being black brothers, they halt during the brightest part of the day as shadows hide them in their attire better than rays of sunshine do. During the break, John questions why Corn Halfhand hasn't asked him how it went with the wildling woman, Egret. The conversation first detours towards Mance Raider and his time as a ranger of the Night's Watch. Corin not only knew him, but was friends with him. Corin says that Mance was the best ranger they had, but he had a penchant for the wildling life, not surprisingly, because he was born a wildling, but raised by the Night's Watch when his parents were killed. So him deserting was just going home for Mance. Corrin goes on to say that the wildlings are as smart and brave as the brothers of the Night's Watch. They just lack discipline, and each one thinks himself or herself as an individual first. Corrin then rightly guesses that John let Egret go. He explains that he didn't care much what John did with her. He just wanted to see what John would do. So he'd know John better, and now he does. Corin sends John off to sleep. Ghost chooses to hunt rather than join John. John dreams of direwolves, sensing five where there had been six, all scattered apart from one another. In the dream, he's called by name from behind. He turns, expecting to see his brother. Instead, he finds a weirwood tree. It's small, but growing as he watches. The face on the tree is Bran's. It only, only it has three eyes. John smells death and darkness in among the scents of the wood, boy, wolf, and earth. 
The tree reaches out and touches John, telling him it will help him to open his eyes to see. As soon as the branch touches him, John is inside Ghost, looking out over an expansive valley below a glacier reaching thousands of feet in the air. The valley is full of wildlings, more than he knew ever existed. Their dwellings and cook fires are haphazardly strewn about. Some charge a shield wall in mock battle, not the cook fires or dwellings. I mean, some of the wildlings charge a cook fire. That makes sense. In, uh, charge a uh, shield wall in mock battle. He even sees a woolly mammoth ridden by a giant. As John slash ghost takes in the scene, an eagle dives at him, digging his talons into skin and fur. John wakes, still feeling the talons in his own skin. He shouts for ghost, but he's quickly subdued by his brothers. Corin has him retell the dream, which John does, feeling foolish, only none of the men are laughing. Eben calls John a skin changer, and Corin says, why not? The dead are walking and the trees have eyes again. Afterward, they press on in the growing darkness. Squire Dalbridge spots an eagle sitting on a rock far above them. This is cause for pause, but Corin pushes them onward. John starts to follow when he spots ghosts lying not far away, his back bloody and torn. The men clean him up. Corn announces it's time to retreat. The eagle has spotted them. So they make their way back to where Egret and the men watch the pass just before dawn. Corin thinks the right man can hold off 100 from this vantage point. Squire Dalbridge takes the hint and volunteers to stay behind to create a distance between his brothers and the wildlings. Later, as dawn breaks, John and Eben notice a speck in the sky, followed by a blast of a hunting horn. Uh-oh. So, you want to start the conversation here with the whether or not there's much point in Squire Dolbridge's sacrifice here. Well, it's practically pedantry. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a loss of a of a good man in in Ranger to an organization who is in dire need of good men in Rangers. True, and I'm just not sure what the benefit they got out of all of it was. I mean, right, and, and particularly to turn back when they did, I. I this is the bit of the part about it that sort of puzzles me is they've gone to all this trouble to climb all this way and they haven't laid eyes on the wildlings. Right. They laid eyes on an eagle who they think might be spying on them, but it might just be a bird. <laughs> and now they've turned and run, leaving one of their party behind. It seems absolutely bizarre. The one thing is they did get intel from John, but that might have just been a dream. Right. I think. Maybe Corin decided when he saw the bird paired with Ghost being torn and bloody on the ground below the bird that he decided, okay, John's dream was legit. I've seen what I need to see. Uh, We can go. But I see. They didn't really. So they discovered that there's a lot of wildlings in one place and they've got at least one giant. what does that do? What? Does, how does that help the Knights Watch it, that they couldn't have already assumed, minus the giant thing? <laughs> well, here's here's what they could do. Ba- with this intelligence, this hard-fought and earned intelligence that cost the life of Squire Dalbridge, they could now go back to the wall 
where they started. <laughs> where they started and defend it. <laughs> right. <laughs> now that they've fingered the danger, aha, it's a lot of wildlings and perhaps a woolly mammoth. Although that might have just been John and the wine. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I know we've... We continually, every John chapter, basically since this book started, have poked holes in the the fruitlessness of this great ranging. But yeah, but, but now I think the fruitlessness of this. I mean, I mean, this whole trip. It feels like if did you really think you were going to be able to walk into the wildling camp unnoticed and walk back out again? Right. No, someone's going to see you. Yeah, especially wearing your black. Uh, Night's Watch garb. They didn't even try to blend in. <laughs> as, as, as you were telling me that, I was thinking, you know, even even in uh, The Empire Strikes Back, the Stormtroopers had, like, white cloaks to help them hide in the snow. <laughs> and they were already dressed in white. They didn't even need them. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was just it was just a, a uh, additional uh, garb to wear to look uh, yeah. look nice in the snow. So yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah, I'm I'm with you. It, it all seems just a little bit strange, but it is interesting that how seriously Corin took the dream. I mean, clearly he thought John was reporting back legitimate information. I do wonder. I mean, of course, we only got sort of like snippets of their conversation. I do wonder if John had actually wrecked the place to the point where it actually provided useful information. I mean, if the description we got was like, you know, a lot of people haphazard cook fires. A giant on a mammoth and some people perhaps kids <laughs> playing at attacking a shield wall you know it's right. like <laughs> you'd really feel like you'd want a lot more having like almost killed the dire wolf to get this and by the way how big is this eagle <laughs> i i imagine an eagle i mean eagles are big birds and they right. pick up like big trout and things but a trout is one thing a dire wolf is like a pony <laughs> it's like a pony <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen an eagle pick up a pony <laughs> i worry sometimes that a uh, hawk is going to pick up a penny out of my front yard yeah, that could happen your <laughs> dire wolf is not so big. no not so much anyway all right so let's back up pen, a bit but, now but, but but actually you're the I'm, I'm gonna steal your glory here but you made an interesting point here that it's I thought, as I read the book, and, and read it, as you know, multiple times, because... <laughs> you got to tell, tell our friends what you told me yesterday. <laughs> so, so we're recording later in the week than we normally do, because McKelly texted me the other day and said, hey, are we ready to record? And I was like, oh, I, I haven't even read it yet. I'm behind. And so I, don't, I said, don't worry, we'll get there. I'll, I'll, I'll read it tonight, and then I'll do the notes and everything. And so that night, as promised, I read it. And as I read it, I realized that I was wrong in saying I hadn't read it. I had actually read it two days earlier and already forgotten that I'd read it. It was, <laughs> But not that much because I sensed it. As I was reading it, I was like, this is all. <laughs> I remember this chapter way better than I remember all the other chapters. Oh, that's good stuff. That's classic uh, right there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, but yeah, you made the point that... so. The, the, if you don't read things carefully, I've noticed this. When I read things fast, I can get the wrong impression of what's going on. And thinking back on this chapter, which I've read at least twice now, um, I easily could have got the impression that Corin interviewed John to find out what he did with 
be great, which to a certain extent is true. But John brought her up first. It was not Corin. Right. Corin was fine just marching along. John's the one who's like, I'm so guilty. I've got to talk about be great, you know? Yeah. And then Corin asked. Right. It, once it, she was it, in conversation. It was like, I think the description even says that he uh, he had to get up the conf- get up the uh, nerve to go talk to Corin about it. So, uh, yeah, it was premeditated. I, I would too. <laughs> yeah, the Corin Halfan, if you remember, stopped an axe with his hand and then <laughs> squirted blood in the eye of his foe. Right. <laughs> and you wussed out of killing a girl. Come on. But it seems like Corin would want to know because. The way he describes it, it seems like the entire exercise was a test. So maybe part of that, like the second half of that test, was finding out whether John would tell him what he did or not tell him. It just like just sweep it under the rug. Maybe that was well, part of the test. Yeah, as well. the, there's even more layers because then there's also the will John tell the truth when he tells me? Oh, know? yeah, right, right. Now, of course, if he knew John at all, he'd know he was going to blab. Because John can't keep anything to himself. <laughs> so maybe he already knew that about John. Yeah. But uh, John does feel guilt over what he perceives as a violation of the command from Corin to kill uh, Egret. And, you know, you could, we talked about this a bit last, the last chapter when, uh, when John met Egret, that you can see the effects of being raised in Winterfell with honorable men like Ned Stark and Roderick. And he even says as much in this chapter when, when Corrin says, so you let her go. And he said, why'd you let her go? And, and John said, well, my father never used a headsman. He would, he, he would swing his own sword and he said, felt he owed it to the people to look into their eyes and hear his, hear their last words. And when he looked into Egret's eyes, he saw no evil, just an, he knows she's an enemy, but no evil. And uh, so he he couldn't kill her. And, uh, you know, that's that's the Ned Stark effect right there. Right. But I will say, like, the one beheading that we know Ned Stark did was uh, Will Garrett. It was, yeah, depending Garrett. on whether you watch the TV show or the book. Book, book or TV show, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but in either case, they weren't evil. They were just scared out of their wits. Right. So, you know, it's it, it feels like you you are correct. Of course, that's part of the the problem with part of the reason John didn't do it is because he's too honourable to do it. But always looking for evil in the eye of the person you have to kill is not really. You're going to leave a lot of people behind you still alive if you always look for that. Right. That's true. <laughs> they may not be evil, but they may stab you in the back. <laughs> as as you're sending them away, and you turn around to to uh, right. go back to where you came from. So wow, you look a lot more evil now. <laughs> now you're coming at me. So um, so John says to Corin. So why did you command me to kill her? And Corin says, "I didn't. I said do what needs to be done, and left you to decide how to interpret that. And right. I wanted to see what you Which, were going to do." Of course, we all interpreted it the same way. He expect, yes. I mean, John certainly heard it as kill her, right? We, we, the readers, heard it the same way as well. It is interesting that Corin's a more subtle thinker than that. Than, yeah, than we absolutely. Gave for. Yeah, I think even Egret interpreted that as kill me, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Or he's just trying to make the best of a bad thing. He's like, oh, God, that idiot didn't kill the girl. (laughs) Okay, let's tell him it was a test and he's passed. (laughs) Please, please, others, take me before he becomes the Lord Commander. (laughs) (laughs) So Corrin says, you know, he wanted to know John. And he said, you know, you got to know your men in order to lead them. I know that if I need a mountain climb, I'll call on Stone Snake. If yeah. I need an arrow through the eye of an enemy across a windy battlefield, I'll call Squire Dalbridge. And if I need to learn a man's secrets, I'll call Eben, which is a much more sinister uh, <laughs> set of skills. <laughs> There's a, a clear threat there. Yeah. Uh, neither of them really mentioned the sort of the, the, the lurking danger of Ygritte being free, you know, somewhere before or after them. Presumably she's behind them. I mean, it'd be hard for her to get in front of them through the pass. Yeah, I and mean, that's so, kind of their argument is she is on foot, has no weapon. So she has to be behind them. Of course, she might not have been stopping during the days like they did. She might have just <laughs> yeah. powered on, but... <laughs> Her, her shock of red hair is uh, perfectly... Uh, well, she, of course, she doesn't have to hide. She doesn't need to hide. She can keep going. Right. In fact, it's good if the eagle spots her. <laughs> yes. So during this conversation, they discuss uh, Mance. Igrit said that Mance would have taken John in, and Corin agrees that that's what would have happened. And this spins into, we learn that Corin knew uh, Mance very well. They were friends, in fact. Yeah. And, and you know, even... Just Corin agreeing with Egret's statement that yeah, Mance would take you in. It the that whole conversation there kind of reveals a, a good amount about Corin that he's not just the he, he's not just a mouthpiece for the Night's Watch of uh, upper management. You know he he's not towing the company line that wildlings are bad guys and Mance is an awful traitor to the Night's Watch. He he paints it as a much more nuanced situation. Well. Just because he would take him in doesn't mean you don't think he's an awful traitor to the Night's Watch. Mance took a vow which he has betrayed, and a vow that Corin Harfan clearly takes very seriously. So True. He's giving him attributes, positive attributes. It doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't think very deeply, lowly of him for doing what he's doing. That's a good point. That's a good point. He does help explain it. You know, he does... He does give some context into why Mance might, why Mance uh, left the Night's Watch. That he was born a wildling, and uh, he was never very good at taking orders and bending a knee. His knees did not bend easily. I think he said. So you know, he he does. You get the feeling Corin's like that too. (laughs) You get the feeling Corin is like that. So. Although not born a wildling, so that that's that's the big difference. And of course, it's interesting when when you've got someone who's born a wildling that you made him a ranger, right? It's like you might have been a steward, might have been a better um, job if for... you really wanted to keep him right. at the night's watch. Yes, <laughs> don't keep tempting him with. Oh, this is where you grew up. You remember that tree over there? <laughs> it's like it's like making putting an adopted child in charge of the records that tell you who the adopted children's real parents are <laughs> right. you know. there's going to be a temptation there eventually to <laughs> but um yeah i think corin 
reveals himself in this conversation to be a true diamond for the Night's Watch. I mean, they're, we know, they're like I said earlier, they're in a tough spot with finding quality brothers. And they've got a real... Uh, a real good one here. He's he's in, comes off as intelligent and insightful. He's a he's a very gifted leader. It seems he knows that you have yeah. to learn your people and you have to you know put the right person in the right place to succeed. And um, you know it, it's uh, it's fascinating that someone with qualities like this isn't the commander of the uh, Shadow Tower. You know. Hopefully we'll meet Dennis Malister and see if he's oh, an even uh, better leader than Corrin. Because I think Corrin has a lot going for him here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I mean, leadership often goes to the people who don't truly deserve it. <laughs> this it's coming from a manager. Of, <laughs> yeah. Promote people out of what they're terrible at. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> And and being Lord Commander or you know what Commander of the it, there's a lot of logistics and uh, you know organizational skills required there, which are not necessarily skills that are in great demand in other aspects of being a member of the Night's Watch. Yeah. For instance, if Corin Harfand is terribly disorganized and couldn't keep a you know a to do list straight if he tried, he wouldn't actually make a good Commander of the Shadow Tower. Yeah, that's but a good he point. is a terrific member of the Night's Watch. Yeah. Maybe he's skilled at being a leader of rangers, not necessarily yeah. a, a leader of an entire organization. Yeah. Or a castle, anyway. Yeah. But he... Uh, Corin makes the point that the wildlings uh, deserve their deserve respect. They're just every bit as brave, strong, and smart as the Night's Watch, and only an idiot would hate them. And uh, that that is... It's good to hear that, because we, we're there does seem to be a sort of degree of hatred towards them from members of the Night's Watch, which is odd and strange because they are just human beings. Right. He specifically mentions Thorin Smallwood. You have to be an idiot like Thorin Smallwood to hate <laughs> wildlings. He, but he he says they basically just lack discipline. That is, that's the difference right. between them and the Night's Watch. Right. Which which is why it is, it is very interesting what Mance Raider could bring to them, because obviously Mance Raider understands discipline but also understands the wildlings mm -hmm. you know so right. he could perhaps bring a level of discipline not not complete not, not like the night's watch clearly but um perhaps enough to make them a, a formidable foe yeah right you know but but with all the all the respect that he shows the wildlings he's still willing to fight kill and torture them in the name of his brothers and of the Night's Watch and their directives. So, you know, as much as he he re has respect for them, he has more allegiance to the Night's Watch and his brothers. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. 
Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. So as we said, Mance um, was taken in by the Night's Watch. His parents, who were wildlings, were killed by the Night's Watch. Um, so perhaps that's kind of the, the germ of his betrayal is right there, you know, that he always harbored a grudge against the Night's Watch. Um, yeah, it's a tough spot. You know, I mean, he didn't seem to have much choice but to join the Night's Watch, being brought in as a kid. It's not like most of the Night's Watch brothers who know are there either by choice or because they committed the crime and this is uh, you know an alternative to some sort of punishment he was brought in as a kid raised in the culture of the night's watch but never according to corin never really fit the mold of a brother of the night's watch he was a little too wild if you will Right, so. which is slightly funny because most of the people in the Night's Watch are, in fact, criminals. Right. <laughs> Murders and rapists. But this is the wild one, the child. Right. But no, you make a good point when you mentioned that you know, maybe he's secretly harboring, not, I don't know about secretly harboring ill will, but that, the, that he's got a, a general grudge that maybe he's tried to overcome over the years against the Night's Watch yeah. for for what happened to him and his family as a child. Yeah. And that would generate mixed feelings. But the other facet of having been in the Night's Watch is that he knows what life is like south of the wall. Not very well. He doesn't right. get to experience much of it, but he does know that they have uh, fields that aren't snow, <laughs> right. that grow crops. <laughs> yeah, you'd imagine uh, he's seen, you know, some, some of the things probably didn't get too far south, but... Uh, right. You know. And... and and farming, probably they don't, it feels like north of the wall, they are more uh, nomadic, perhaps uh, more living off the land sort of thing. But south of the wall, I mean, I mean, in the in the Queen's Gift, they are, they farm. Right. They would, they would see herds of cows, which I don't think they really have those north of the wall. I mean, maybe Craster has like some pigs and what have you, but right. generally speaking, there's a whole level of agriculture and therefore food and plenty. Right. Which, knowing that he's a wildling, knowing that he's now betrayed them and gone over to the wildlings, he's probably saying about the land of milk and honey just the other yes, side of that 700 foot exactly. wall. Exactly, yes. You know, I would love to see, they should throw this into the uh, the Game of Thrones spinoffs. Uh, I would love to see an origin story on Mance. See him <laughs> go from a wildling child, then into the Night's Watch, maybe struggling with his... His uh, allegiance of which which side he he uh, really has allegiance toward, and then you know deserting and becoming the the king beyond the wall. That'd be a really cool story, actually, to follow. Yeah. So Corin says a couple of very very interesting things about Mance. He says when he left the Shadow Tower, he was only going home. Right. And he also says he, that he was the best of us, which is high praise from Corin. You don't feel like Corin's much of a gusher. Right, but <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's kind of corn like I was saying earlier. He's kind of awesome. So you know, like to say that he was the best of us, meaning Mance was the best of us. Maybe he's just being modest. I don't know. But I thought, wow, you know, I think corn seems pretty uh, amazing. And uh, man, he says Mance was a better ranger than him. Yeah. So, so the one other facet of that before we move on from Mance is that. He obviously was likable. I mean, 
it's one thing to be a good ranger, but to be well liked, that that's not necessarily a skill. It's just a characteristic, right? And that could stand him in good stead while he's trying to make case to the wildlings for why they should band together and do what he says, sort of thing. If he is personable and you know charismatic, that could make a difference here. Yeah, absolutely. That Corin mentions that he will that Mance was a singer. That Mance, in fact, that's how Corin knew the. Uh, uh, Bail the Bard story was because Corin um, Mance used to sing it when he would get back to the Shadow Tower after arranging. So, yeah, he must have been a pretty likable which, which, character. Which, of course, is an interesting song for Mance to sing because it's a song of a wildling getting south of the wall, right? Yeah, injecting <laughs> themselves into a royal house, having their his way with the daughter of the royal house, and getting away with it, like fleeing back north of the wall, right? <laughs> They should have listened more carefully to what he was saying. <laughs> they they might have seen it coming, had they? <laughs> so John goes to sleep, minus Ghost, because Ghost runs off, um, and he dreams of the other. He dreams of the direwolves, um, five of them, where there should be six. And uh, I wonder, right them. there, with that, if it's insight, any insight into Bran and Rickon's whereabouts. He says there's five when there should have been six, and they were scattered all apart from each other. But oh. we were under the impression that Bran the and Rickon two of them should were be together. together. So good point. Possibly could they have split up and maybe that's why Theon had trouble tracking them. He never considered the idea that the boys had gone in different directions. Yeah. It seems strange to me that they would have gone in different directions. It does. Therefore, I cast doubt on the reliability of John's dream recollections. <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying. Maybe he should have said most of them were scattered for, apart from each other. <laughs> yeah. He, so he, he he seems to be having some kind of, you know, warging, skin-changing event even before he meets Bran in his dream because he he is looking for his brother's lean gray shape is one of the things he says. Which is not how you is... would describe either of his human brothers. <laughs> no, lean, green any of the three of his human brothers, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yeah, he feels like he's taking on Ghost Persona in the same way that Bran does when he dreams of Summer. Uh, yeah. But maybe, maybe maybe, Bran has projected this dream to John, Right. For John's benefit. I was thinking that, that same thing, that possibly either he's already developed this warging ability or... Because there's obviously a heavy Bran intervention here that maybe uh, Bran is is creating this situation where he's in ghost uh, in this dream here. And one thing yeah. about this ghost, this dream ghost, is that it mentions that his cry echoed through the forest. But ghost has never made a sound, even when snarling. So uh. maybe he can only do that when... John is uh, warging him. Maybe, maybe he can make sounds when John is in his body. I wonder if I wonder if that annoys Ghost. I wonder if he like, hey, I like to be the strong silent type. You get in me, and then it's all oh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you think that's what a wolf should do, but I don't like it that way. But he hears a he hears his name called from behind him. That John, who's being Ghost at this moment. <laughs> But but did he hear John or did he hear Ghost? Because he doesn't say, does he? He just says he hear, hears his name. 
I believe it actually says John. John, okay. But I'd have to I'd have to look to be positive, but I'm pretty sure he oh. does say John. Uh but so John looks around, he's looking to for that lean gray shape that Simon mentioned. And um of course at at this point we don't know which brother it is. He just says my brother. So theoretically at this point it could have been any of his brothers. Um but being he turns around and he sees a werewood. And, and being that brand dreams of werewoods too, you automatically lean toward brand even before you get the uh, third eye thing. So the were- I can confirm that the, the, the name John was was said, although it wasn't in quotes. It was in sort of like italics, like sort of like in the head. He heard the word right. John. But then that's strange to me. Then that that having heard the name John, he would turn around looking for a wolf. Feels like if you heard the name John, you would turn around looking for the person. Right. Yes, that's a good point. Maybe he's he's thinking with a direwolf's brain at that point. Like like Bran right. does. Yeah. But he turns around and he sees a, a werewood. So starts as a sapling and grows and thickens and reaches for the sky. And, you know, I have in the notes here that at this point it could still be either brother because he's not seen the three eyes yet. Could have been Rob's power. The, the werewood growing could be a metaphor for Rob's power increasing, or it could be Bran shaking off his childhood and becoming a man-grown. Or, likely, Bran learning how to be that winged wolf that Jojen wanted him to be by learning to open his third eye. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then so he encourages John to open his third eye as well. Right. This is sort of like a... a, a passing the baton of this and and we're not quite sure what the third eye gives you obviously it gives you some kind of insights and power that you wouldn't otherwise have right the ability to see things from afar perhaps but uh presumably it would be beneficial but it's without seeing any evidence of its power it's difficult to know exactly what it would do for them very true for instance by comparison Melisandre can give birth to a shadow demon which can go out and murder people. Clear, one-to-one, take this power, use it. Yes, the benefits are very obvious and very immediate. (laughs) Maybe the third eye you can see around corners, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it makes him a really good poker player. He can can see to the other side of the cards. (laughs) Maybe maybe you can really look someone in the eye while reading. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking. But uh, so John smells because he's a wolf. He smells a lot of smells mixed in with the with this weirwood brand. He smells earth and stone and boy and tree and death, which is a rather ominous. Uh, Thing to smell around Bran. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as we know he's in a rather dangerous position being on the lamb and being yes. hunted. So that's not good. And th- so the so then the the Bran tree tells John that um he can see those who can't see you in the dark. Is that right? Did I get that right? He could you that John could see those who can't see him in the dark, but in order to do so, he has to open his eyes first. Right. Yeah. Which 
interesting. Yeah, I, I think Bran is saying it like, oh, don't worry about me being in the darkness. I don't mind it. I can see people, but they can't see me. But in order to do that, oh. you have to open your third eye like this, and he whacks him in the head with the tree branch. I see. And, I see. and much like Bran developing his third eye after the crow pecked his forehead in a dream, <laughs> uh, John seems to get, at least according to Bran, get a, a third eye when Bran smacks him in the head with a tree branch. So did he just give John the gift of green sight? Is it temporary? Is it just because he's in this dream with Bran? Is this something that's going to happen going forward? Right. right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it feels like it is something that Bran doesn't have all the time. I mean, obviously, literally, he doesn't have a third eye. <laughs> right. um, and presumably, if it is some kind of ability to see things that you can't see with two eyes, he doesn't have it every minute of every day. It's not like he's got x-ray vision. So Good maybe point. it is only something that you pick up in your dreams, but maybe maybe you're right. John has it from this point forward, perhaps. Maybe. Or maybe he's just showing him... Showing, Brand showing John what he's capable of, giving him a right, glimpse yeah, into yeah, his yeah. power. So what happens when Bran hits John with the weirwood branch is John goes from the dream with with the weirwood that's Bran back into ghost body in what seems to be real life at this point. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Right, yes, yes, like like a warging experience rather than a dream. Yes, yes exactly. And, um, and... Which, which is useful, of course, because... Obviously, you can't trust anything you see in a green dream because it could be the the wolf's dream too. But if you now you're experiencing what the wolf experiences, but it, it, there is a there is a kind of a fuzzy line between these two things. You know what I mean? Sure. It, yeah. John definitely feels this difference, but to us, it seems a lot of it seems kind of pretty airy fairy. Right. <laughs> uh, but of course it makes a difference here because what what ghost can see is that which they've come to find out which is the wildling encampment. But uh unfortunately ghost himself is spotted. Right. By by an eagle. So you yes. know, like you mentioned in the summary, he sees a valley filled with wildlings and that there's no plan to the encampment but the riders are charging a shield wall and like you said, I mean didn't get a, a great deal of detailed information here. They didn't, yeah. Not like they got a head count or anything. We've got this much right. infantry and this many uh, horse. <laughs> they, there's yeah. some people down there. And I saw, pretty sure I saw what looked like a, either a haystack on the move or possibly a mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> But the other thing is, of course, now you know that they've been practicing against a shield wall. You could just not have a shield wall and instead just have a 700-foot wall. <laughs> that might work better. Let them charge it against that for a while. Exactly. See how that works. We should have had us practice this. <laughs> just doing nothing. So, but then the, the uh, I found this quote here to be curious because there's a quote that says, 
This is no army, no more than it's a town. This is a whole people come together, which by itself that makes sense. That is fine. But it's done in the italicized voice of Bran, which is kind of odd that a little boy would say uh, something like that. I When I but, first but, read it, but, I thought it was John thinking, this John. isn't just a town. This isn't just an army. This is the whole of the... Populous but are you misunderstanding the italics? Is is the because this has now become a warg event rather than a dream? The italics are now John within Ghost. The italics yeah. during the dream were indeed Bran talking to John, but now John is inside Ghost. It's maybe John's voice. I, I, I'm with you. I, it feels strange that those would be words attributed to Bran. Right, and, and I agree with you. I think the first couple times I read it, I thought that too. But the audiobook, they read it with the brand's voice, with the huh? odd voice that's done for Weirwood <laughs> brand. So that's why I was like... Well, yeah, it's definitely possible because that? you're absolutely right. That is that is the italics that are used for, for brand. So I just thought it was odd because it's an odd thing for a little boy to say. Yeah. So Mance is obviously getting... Some fighting discipline going. The camp is random and a bit of a mess, but you know, Mance isn't a miracle worker. <laughs> right. But you've got to imagine, there's very little danger of attack. I mean, like, some of the best rangers in the Night's Watch have come t- until they saw the first eagle, and then they've hightailed it out of there. So, you know, <laughs> they the camp was sufficiently defended. They just needed that eagle over right. that perch. One eagle, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, my point here is, Mance is king of the kingless. You know, this is these are people who don't follow leaders. They are following him. He cannot impose Night's Watch type discipline. If they were in strict right. rows, they would be revolting against him. Yes, you're By right. By being loosey-goosey but trying to encourage them to practice some fighting, he's getting them on his side. Yes, that's he's he's being flexible. He's uh he's working with what he's got here, much like Stannis in fact. Reminds me a lot of uh, Stannis Baratheon the way he's adapting right. to his environment so well. Minus the gritted teeth. Yes. I think Mance is fine with it. <laughs> Since Ghost didn't hear any teeth grinding, <laughs> I, I think Mance is probably not doing that. So then Ghost slash John sees what he thought was a mound of earth move, and it turns out to be a mammoth with what he thinks must be a giant because he says the both the mammoth and the thing riding the mammoth are way too big to... Uh, have been human, so... Uh, you know what? I, I question all this, right? How good is uh, Ghost's depth perception? Probably pretty good, because he's a hunter, right? They have right. good eyes for this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But the the depth perception would be for, like, you know, how far away is that thing I'm trying to kill? It's kind of short range. Yes, it's only right. He's looking down from a sort of, like, a, a, a hill into a valley filled with... Thousands of people. I'm just saying, this could have been a shaggy pony with a <laughs> child on it quite a lot closer than he realized. <laughs> yes. You're right. As you were talking, I was thinking, dogs are known to have terrible eyesight, right? So I wonder if... Oh, we'll... really? I think so. Ah. I think dogs don't have... They, they use their sense of smell and hearing, right? Primarily. Right, yeah. So yeah. I wonder. I don't know about wolves' sense of sight, but yeah, you bring up a good point. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. saying. But uh, it so seeing this giant, if we take it for granted that it's a giant like he thinks it is, it really just shows the the vastness 
of the land north of the wall because Eben says later that he's been in the Night's Watch since he was a boy and he's ranged as far as any ranger and he's never seen a giant, only bones and odd tales of giants. Hmm. And Osha mentioned in a, I think it was brand six of a Game of Thrones, maybe, um, that her description of the giants seemed like they were fairly prevalent north of the wall she told brand that her brother killed a 10-foot giant and um yes you know so at that time when we got that information we figured rangers have to see them i mean they're they must be somewhat prevalent but evan's uh story is otherwise yeah i wonder i wonder if some of this and and and, and i've been thinking about this sort of like as this has been going on the fear of winter is spreading from the north southwards, right? Sure. I wonder if the 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 more magical creatures, the, the mammoths and the giants, live further north and they've been driven south by the rising horror Solid. of this winter. I like that, and yes. And that's sure. actually why Mance's army is so large. It's not because it's like the, a thin band of, you know, 20 miles 10 miles north of the wall where we've gathered all the wildlings. It's everyone who lives further north than that is heading south and they've all yeah. sort of agglomerated together. That is that is very uh, solid possibility right there. I like that. So at that point, the shadow plummets from the sky. It's got blue-green pinions spread wide and the eagle digs its talons into ghost. Um, so it's... We definitely think this eagle is tied to the wildlings because it sort of like basically tracks their movement from this point onwards. Right. Um, and as I say, it must be a heck of an eagle. I mean, I if I were that eagle, I would put like a couple of talons in there and I would hightail it out of there as quick as I could because that dire wolf is going to be mad. But he, it really hurt Ghost. I mean, Ghost basically lay still from that point onwards until John found him the next day. Right. Yeah, later that it's been like four or five hours when when they started moving again because they rested for four uh, or five that's hours. Right. He wasn't sleeping overnight. That's right. He was sleep. They were sleeping until it went dark. Yeah, but still, they had to sleep four or five hours and then get up and travel to Ghost. So, uh, yeah, you know, they he must have been pretty hurt to not be able to move or at least not want to move. Maybe he was yeah. laying still just... be- because he was afraid that eagle was going to attack him again. So he was right, right. playing dead. So presumably eagles don't routinely attack direwolves. You wouldn't think. You wouldn't You'd think. think that would be a strange thing to do. So why did this eagle attack this direwolf? And uh, my yes. guess here is that it's it's sort of warg recognizing warg that this is um, the the eagle is being warged by a wildling and he is on patrol and. Normally, you wouldn't say, hey, go risk all of your life by attacking that direwolf. But when you recognize that the direwolf is actually a spy for the opposition, you go and attack him. Right. There's. It seems like there's one of two options here. The wildlings have their own wargs, which is certainly possible, like, like you said. Or this is some sort of eagle pet who's been following them since John was with Ghost. And that's how... The eagle uh, knew that I Ghost see. was connected to the rangers. Right. Because right. John mentions but, last chapter seeing eagles. You know, he mentions having seen eagles. Maybe it's the same eagle. Maybe that same eagle has been following them for a while now. 
Yeah. But then two counterpoints to that. One is, if you know that Ghost is an enemy and it's heading towards a point where it can overlook the camp and you don't want it to see the camp, attack it before it sees it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, if it's just a direwolf, it couldn't report back what it sees. What's it going to do? Scratch a diagram in the sand with its claw? You know? It could do like a lassie thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Have John come follow him. <laughs> What well, is yes, it, ghost? But John's headed that way anyway. <laughs> what is it, ghost? Has Evan fallen in a well? <laughs> it looks like a child on a pony. What are you trying to do, ghost? <laughs> no, no, way bigger. <laughs> oh, uh, but so when when John wakes, it's a very different experience for John telling of his wolf dream than it was for Bran in Winterfell. And in what way? And well, in the way that when Bran was trying to tell Maester Lewin of his wolf dreams and werewood dreams, Maester Lewin, being a man of science, was being very rational about it and saying that's just a dream. That these these things don't happen. Magic doesn't happen. I tried. It doesn't work. But when when John mentions that he had a dream and goes into a very vague detail about it. Uh, Corrin is like, tell me every single detail of this dream and uh, takes it a lot more seriously than than the reception that Bran it's, got. It's funny, I found myself both siding with um, Mr. Lewin and siding with Corrin during that. I was like, yeah, man of science. Kid comes and tells you they've had a bad dream. You say, it's a dream, kid. Get over it. <laughs> right. But also, I'm like, well, come on, we're from the north. We got to believe in these things, you know. So yes, yeah. I, I, you raise you raise a good point. It was a, a different reaction. Although I think so, it's the dimension of the lake underneath the glacier that tips Corrin off. That uh, whoa, those are two things that really exist, and we have not seen either of those things. We yet. haven't got there yet. Yeah. And Craster told them that uh, that Mance's men, Mance's People were gathering at a lake where the the source of the milk water, which is a lake underneath a glacier. So, you know, that he did have reasons to believe that John might be onto something. He wasn't just totally like, ooh, tell me about your dream. Yeah. God, God, you wouldn't believe how bored I am. Tell me about your dream. <laughs> I've been sitting around by myself for hours while you people slept. <laughs> So the men progress onwards. Um, they see the eagle, which gives them pause. Uh, Corin says to keep going because now it's twilight. Um, John says it could be just an eagle. Obviously, that is a possibility that need not be immediately discounted. Eagles yeah. live there. Yeah, and um, so they find Ghost, and they he's torn up, like we mentioned, and and they fix him up. And now it's dark. It was twilight when they saw the eagle, but by the time they finish fixing Ghost up, it's dark. And Corrin does a a complete 180 here. When they saw the eagle, Literally. he said, let's keep going. After they saw he saw Ghost in the shape that Ghost was in, he said, let's get the heck out of here. And so it seems like seeing Ghost was the deciding factor to turn back. Yeah. And until that moment, he could rationalize like John, uh, you know, tried it's john thought it could be any eagle that's just an eagle 
and he could rationalize that, but seeing the eagle over a bloody ghost gave him enough evidence to believe that John's dream... Because if John gave all the details, then he would have mentioned the fact that the eagle attacked the wolf. And if he sees a wolf harmed by an eagle, that really confirms everything you need to know. Yeah, It's a good point, actually. and, And it does undermine my pedantry about they've come this far, because now they feel like we saw what we came to see. Yeah, if you can believe that, if if you can accept that this eagle attacked ghost and John dreamed it, then it's not too much more of a step to believe that the things that John saw while he was yeah. ghost were also legitimate. Yeah. So, in order to sort of protect them as they run for their lives, although <laughs> I, I don't know how quickly the eagle can report back what he's seen, or maybe right. he has to scratch in the sand as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It looks like, I don't know, a scarecrow? What is it? <laughs> oh, crow, crow. Yes, it's a nice watch guy. <laughs> Five of them? So Squire Dalbridge accepts the uh, Quarren's hint to um, go back to the perch where they found Egrit and uh, from there hold off the presumably thousands of wildlings who are going to go chasing these five uh Night's Watch members, so that they don't report back that there are thousands of them. I mean, (laughs) what what else is there? You didn't get anything from this? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so so much for the old uh, all for one, one for all, no man left behind thing. It's like, we need someone to sacrifice their life here, and you're the best shot we've got, so kind of need you to literally fall on your arrow here. If I was Squire Dolbridge, I'd be like, well, That'll come in very handy back at the wall right. when they're... <laughs> You'll want me then. Yes, that's right. This John fella, what's he doing? Uh, the, the fact that there was no hesitation or objection by Squire Dalbridge just shows his dedication to his brothers here. Or his plan to change sides. <laughs> Could be that too. <laughs> Maybe he overheard Corin yeah. when he told him. Mance would take me in, you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting you 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 made the point that that of that dedication and it does feel like Corin's men seem to be more dedicated than the sort of the Castle Black people. The Castle Black people seem to be more whiny complainers. Whereas the Shadow Tower seems to be a little bit more uh, hard-edged. True. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the comparison with Castle Black. Because we've certainly seen enough whiny Castle Black members like Chet. uh, But uh, I will say that the the whining doesn't preclude selflessness when the time comes, you know. True. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Some people just need to vent. And we're also dealing with hand-picked rangers here. Corrin picked... This group of rangers, clearly he must uh, trust them and think that they are willing to sacrifice their lives for him if need be. (laughs) Maybe he should have brought one who he really didn't like (laughs) for this very job. (laughs) I'm not much of a shot. It's okay. Just throw Just do your best. (laughs) All right. Do you have some background information? Well, I do. Wasn't an easy chapter to get much background on. Not a whole lot happened. There was was snow and there was... Oh, there were mammoths. Oh, and there were giants. There were giants. There were giants, weren't there? So, since John got a glimpse of what appeared to be a giant in this chapter, 
And since last John episode, we talked about some of the Brandon Starks throughout the Stark line because of Egret's story of Bale the Bard, I thought we'd continue the theme and mention a son of one of those Brandons that also ties into giants. How about me getting creative there? So, Thank goodness. You probably don't remember, but the earliest, <laughs> the earliest Lord Brandon Stark that I mentioned last John chapter was named Brandon the Boastful, and he died in 49 AC. Now, we ruled him out as Brandon the Daughterless from Egret's story because he had two sons, which technically does make him Brandon the Daughterless. Not in necessary sense. Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so anyway, his oldest son, Walton Stark, succeeded him as Lord of Winterfell. But now I'm going to take you several hundred uh, miles south here, down in King's Landing, King Je- uh, King Jaehaerys the First Targaryen had just ascended to the Iron Throne after the death of Maegor the Ever So Misunderstood. Thank you. Now, young King Jaehaerys had recently made peace with the Faith of the Seven after years of fighting between their militant wing, called the Faith Militant, and his misunderstood uncle Maegor. Part of the agreement was that several hundred members of the Faith Militant would take the Black. Four of Magor's Kingsguard also took the Black to avoid execution. Now fast forward a little bit. In 50 AC, two of Magor's former Kingsguard, Sir Oliver Bracken and Sir Raymond Mallory, led a mutiny in the Night's Watch, backed by many of the recently arrived Faith Militant. Lord Walton Stark rode to the aid of the Black Brothers. Lord Walton beheaded Sir Oliver with his sword Ice, but Sir Raymond fled north of the Wall, and of course, Walton pursued uh, Raymond and his men into the haunted forest, but unfortunately, he and his party were attacked by giants. It's said that Walton slew two of the giants in the fight, but was eventually torn limb from limb. Sir Raymond might have been temporarily spared by the giant's intervention, but his luck wouldn't last much longer, because within six months, his head was delivered to Eastwatch by the Sea by a wildling chieftain who claims his people had eaten the rest of Raymond. Walton's bones were laid to rest in the crypts of Winterfell. When King Jaehaerys later visited Winterfell, Walton's brother, now Lord Alaric Star, took the king to visit Walton's tomb, and he blamed the king for... Uh, his brother's death. There's uh, there's two uh, lines of dialogue here. Do you want to take King Jaehaerys and I'll take Alaric? Please. I've always wanted to be King Jaehaerys. All right. So Alaric said... I'm going said, to ad-lib something about my uncle. <laughs> Alaric said, Walton lies down here in darkness in no small part thanks to you. The Stars and Swords, which is the nickname for the Faith Militant, the leavings of your seven gods, are what to us? And yet you sent them to the wall in their hundreds and their thousands, so many that the night's watch was hard-pressed to feed them. And when the worst of them rose up, the oath-breakers you sent us, it cost my brother his life to put them down. A grievous price, but that was never our intent. You have my regrets, my lord, and my gratitude. I would sooner have my brother. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) You know I'm a Targaryen, right? (laughs) Don't be pushing my buttons. So there you go. Well, that's very good. Thank you. I appreciate the background. 
All right, comparison with the television show, none of this really happens, and the bits that do happen would kind of be spoilers if I did talk about them because they come sort of later in the show. Okay. Um, mostly, um, John and Egret are still sort of like rowing with each other at this point in the show. That's and right. I think all this was filmed in Iceland, and it's it's. Uh, fascinating scenery you know they're all sort of like running walking over lava flows that are covered in snow but it actually was raining i noticed so um just a little bit of a thaw in the in the north for this scene it was okay raining, not snow yeah. you that's right you reminded me yesterday that the way john got separated from the other brothers of the night's watch is he went chasing after egret when um she right. ran off when he was supposed to execute her right. and couldn't and he did recapture her but I can't tell you what goes on next in their story until okay. it sort of like realigns with the TV show because it will be spoilery. All right. Um, so pedantry, we've kind of undermined my pedantry. I mean, I just felt like the whole they're going to sneak in and sneak out never felt like it was going to happen. So why are they turning back now? Because they saw through ghost eyes what they came to see and now they can go back and report back. I got nothing. Yeah, although the... The original idea of sneaking in and sneaking out does seem a bit far-fetched. Because yeah. if they were going to have one group of watchers in the pass, you'd think they would probably have yeah. a second Although, somewhere. honestly, what's the point? You're not doing anything <laughs> other true. than being enormous. I mean, that's the only that's the only piece of information is how vast they are. Right. Too many to count. Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> so we, we still don't know. <laughs> Ghost only has four claws on each. <laughs> there were more than eight. <laughs> news and notes, you've got something. I do. I was in the, the news recently that Brian Cox, who's currently most notable for his role in the HBO show Succession, which I believe you watch, correct? I do, although I haven't seen the most recent series. But I, I highly recommend the show Succession. It's very, very good. Right. Um, there's, um, I saw some background to it, and uh, not Macaulay Culkin, younger brother. Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin is in it. And he is Brian Cox's son. And basically, this show is called Succession. They're a wealthy family. And it's you know sort of like the children are trying to position themselves to succeed. Right. Father. Yeah. And um, Kieran Culkin talks about the fact that many of his scenes are him just being in abject terror of his father and he said when brian cox is shouting in your face he said i'm not acting i am genuinely afraid <laughs> he's a holy terror he really easiest is. acting job i've ever had exactly <laughs> well brian cox admitted uh in a new autobiography that he turned down the role of our beloved robert baratheon in the game of shown's tv show his his reasoning is that although the show went on to become a huge success before arguably self-destructing the uh and i added the word in our, you did. Into those notes did you notice <laughs> you just went for the self-destruct right uh the the initial compensation numbers weren't anything to write back to storm's end about you see what i did there i did okay um he he sleeps well at night on a bed of cash uh because king robert baratheon the first of his name died in season one so he wouldn't have seen the pay boost that the actors that were around for the long haul received. And uh, the autobiography is called Putting the Rabbit in the Hat, if you have any interest in huh. such a thing. 
So I, I wonder, so Mark Addy played King Robert Baratheon, and I, right. I really like Mark Addy. I'm a big fan of his. But I wonder if he hung around the set for the next seven series, begging for extra scenes now that the, uh, <laughs> the money had gotten good. You know? We need a flashback right here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or every time there was a scene with the others, he ran on to try and get touched. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to say, it's it's interesting. I think Robert, I think Mark Addy did a good job of Robert Baratheon, but Brian Cox is a different level of actor, I think, to Mark Addy, and it would have been interesting to see him do yeah, that. That would have. I think Mark Addy did a good job of it. Don't not. Oh no, no, yeah, he did. He did a great job of it. But um, yes, it would have been a very different style of Robert Baratheon. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe Mark Eddy is a better fit, to be honest. Right, yeah, because... Because there's definitely a joviality. Yes, to, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yes. Um, and don't forget that if you um, become a sustainer on our Buy Me A Coffee site, which is buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharonhall, then you will be grandfathered into the highest tier of sustainer uh, for the future. So um, if you are interested, please... Uh, join us there we would greatly appreciate it absolutely all right let's conclude was it a coincidence that bran reaches out now is he in a position where it's easier for him to do this kind of thing because he's outside of winterfell yeah that's a possibility i hadn't thought about that um yeah getting back to nature right i i I guess you think that you think that there's one of two possible, well, one of three possibilities. Complete coincidence that he just managed to pop into uh, John's dreams at the exact moment that John needed to be able to see through ghost and see what uh, what lies ahead of them, or maybe something alerted Bran to John's danger. Possibly uh, uh, Jojen had a green dream or something that, uh, or the telepathic connection between the wolves right something like that or it could possibly be that bran is in some kind of danger and was reaching out to john and right. um john didn't pick up the message i guess if he was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo, look at me i'm ghost <laughs> <laughs> although um did you smell death <laughs> thanks <laughs> you're a pal yeah, the death thing, you know, like Mom is... was right about him. <laughs> <laughs> the the death thing is um a little disturbing, you know. Is that's what I was saying? Is there peril going on with with uh, Bran that maybe uh, caused him to reach out at this exact moment? Yeah, um, and then was the eagle guarding the pass against direwolves? Uh, was the eagle also being warged? Yeah, is this something that wildlings can do? Just like, I mean, again, I think I always think of the Starks as being sort of like a civilized version of the wildlings. So the the abilities that the Starks have, the wildlings have them perhaps more routinely. Sure. So it wouldn't surprise me if this the kind of ability that we're seeing Bran have now is something that what the wildlings, at least some of them, have in their repertoire. Yeah, and they don't have the maesters around. Trying to push their science. Telling and, them uh, they're wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I could absolutely see that. That It would be a more free environment to explore things like warging. And also, you know, like Jojen told Bran, people are going to react very poorly when they discover that you're a warg. But maybe north of the wall, 
that's something that is more appreciated and, you know, more uh, highly regarded than it is south of the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So they haven't gained an awful lot from this expedition as we complained before it started. And yeah, I mean, certainly if there was, there was rumor earlier of Mance doing something in the frost fangs to sort of like perhaps find something that could destroy the wall or get something magical somehow. Yeah. But I mean, was it the mammoth? <laughs> That's what they needed. <laughs> they needed the He's mammoth really and the giant. Breath and melts the thing. So yeah, yeah I mean, Craster told them where they were. Craster right. said they they knew all the villages had been depleted of people, so they right. knew it was a lot of people. They've gained nothing from this, right? They've but lost they... their best archer, and they've got some frostbite. <laughs> and they still have a 700 foot wall um, they, at their backs now though unfortunately right, at their backs they need it in front of them right <laughs> or just underneath them ideally but now it seems like a, a race back to the fist of the first men yeah the the one thing i guess just 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 trying to think about justifications for all this if you could say hey there were a hundred thousand people there for sure then that is something that Mormont could use to say, you know what, we're going to need a bit of a boost here, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we got a wall, but we cannot defend it from 100,000 people. They can crawl up at too many points for us to stop them. Yeah. Which I don't think is true. I mean, seriously, 100,000 people, you can't build that many ladders. Right. Yeah. I get you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it's completely useless information. It is good to know the size of the force you're dealing with. But they only know that it's more people than John knew that there was north of the wall, which is still a very vague number. But maybe the folks uh, going up through the uh, giant stairs and uh, up the uh, following the milk water will get more specific numbers. Right. Actually... Maybe Mance told them to be disheveled with their thing because if they'd just done rows of cook fires, they... he could have counted how many there were this direction, how many <laughs> right. were that direction, multiplied them together. <laughs> Eight people per cook fire. You'd have a pretty solid guess right there. You know, <laughs> as it was, it's just haphazard chaos. Exactly. They have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like a race back, but. Um... You would think that the Rangers have the advantage since they got a head start and they've got Squire Dalbridge up there uh, plucking off about the first few hundred wildlings to pop their heads. Does he have that many them. arrows, really? <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know how many arrows he has. <laughs> yeah. But they are fewer being the, you know, there's only five of them, so you'd think they would be faster. Yes. Yes, you would. No, no matter who they send chasing them, you'd think these... Uh, Hardened rangers could move quickly. Yeah, but it is the uh, wildlings' home turf, so maybe they know shortcuts and stuff. That is true. That is true. All right. Got anything else? No. Me either. Let's wrap this up. Well, as always, you can reach us at ghost.heronhall at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ghostheronhall. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, And, of course, Discord, which I highly recommend you come join the conversation there as well. And there's three ways that you can help us. First and foremost, go out and leave us a review. There's no better advertising than that. Secondly, buy some merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com. Or 
buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostharrenhall. Big thank you to those who've already become sustainers. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.